fourth Saturday of every month, a men's breakfast at my place. Cool. Thank you. Well, uh, before you get comfortable, just stand up for a moment and we'll, we'll get to a spot where we can... We've got a lot of people away. Uh, COVID is starting to make its rounds again. Um, we had a lot of people ring up yesterday who were supposed to be in the band and others that... Uh, the Greenwoods, I believe, Tim Greenwoods and, and players. Oh, no, when you're standing, it looks like we've got enough. But, Father, we pray, dear God, uh, corporately... This is the great thing about coming to the house of God that we can, we can join hearts and, and declare with faith, with, with, a, with, a, with a heart that says, God, you desire for us to be made whole, to be healed, to prosper, and our bodies to be, Lord, healthy, vibrant, with, with, with strength to walk out our days, giving you glory. So, Father, right now we pray for every single person that's associated with this church, and in fact, every person in this house right now, and your family, extended family and friends, we pray this, in the house of God, we pray healing and health. We come against every virus, every uh, spirit of infirmity, but every COVID virus, Lord, we pray that, Lord, we would be immune to it that we are being inoculated right now by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that brings to bear all the benefits of the cross of Calvary. So, Father, right now we come under you. We submit to you for our health care plan. I have someone constantly ringing me up from Victoria. I know now I block every call from Victoria <laughs> because I, still, I, I did a stupid thing and I inquired about health care. I've got health care. I don't even know why I did this, but now they ring me incessantly every day, ringing me on all these numbers that are, you know, basically numbers I've got to cancel and block. I do not need the world's healthcare system. I need Jesus. I, I need Him. He's the great physician. He's the Lord of my health. He created me. He knows my body, and I submit to Him. And, and, and yes, I am practical. I do have health care. But right now, I pray that you would do this. Submit your body, your health care program, to the Lord Jesus to be healed. Your body is, is the tent. It's the part of you. It, it's the, the vehicle that allows your spirit, your eternal part of you. So you are body soul, what's your soul, your mind, your will, your mind, your will, and your emotions, thank you Katrina, and the soul, as Jilly was saying, needs to prosper, to make good decisions, and not cave in emotionally, if you listen to yourself, I've got a great scripture at the end of this sermon, but your soul needs to come into agreement with what God says about you and your life. If you let your soul rule the roost, you'll be in all sorts. Uh, listen, your spirit, if you're saved, if you're not, there will be an opportunity at the end to be saved, but your spirit is ready to worship. There's nothing more that can be done for your spirit. It is sanctified, justified, it is ready to rock for Jesus. Jesse introduced our grandson Moses to the Queen song. We will, we will rock you. 
she's found, that is one of the tools to pacify a little boy that's sitting caged in a, in a car seat in the back that wants to wriggle and she puts that on at a decent level and he's just like, <laughs> three years old and he knows how to rock, amen? Your spirit knows how to rock in Jesus. It knows how to worship, how to praise, how to come to church, how to read the Bible and how to lay hands on the sick, amen? But your soul must give permission for your spirit to ascend and do what God wants you to do and give glory to God. So, Father, right now, we bring our soul into submission to the will of God and to the voice of God. And, Lord, we come out of that fear. We come out of that intimidation of the world. And we worship you. We lift holy hands and worship you. Ha, despite what the fear of man is suggesting, despite what the mockery of man is suggesting we worship you in the attitude of our hearts. So, Father, right now, we pray for healing for all our members, all our people that are not here, and we pray the blood of Christ upon them to bless them, to heal them, and to anoint them. And the saints say, Amen. Amen. You may take a seat. More of God. I'm going to hit the road running. Pray for Pastor Julie. She's in Darlinghurst, one of the oldest churches in Darlinghurst, uh, traditionally it was the red light district, although it's getting more sanctified uh, through the saints' uh, prayers. And, but she's down there, she's taken a friend down there, Clay's uh, daughter, Jess, I think she's gone there. Clay, it was great to see you up there playing drums, give him a hand. Tom had to have the morning off. We've got other musicians coming in and we've got a lot of visitors. I need to just freewheel here a bit. Uh, because there's so much happening in the life of this church during the week. I've never known it to be so busy. Uh, I, I definitely think the visitor rate is going up, which is great. I think definitely uh, people are looking for truth. They're looking for answers. And they want to know what the heck is going on. <laughs> what the heck is going on? And guess what? We have that wisdom available uh, to your friends and family that don't know God, especially don't have that narrative. The only nar the narrative they've, they've been reduced into is a Netflix narrative or, uh, you know, a narrative of the world. They may be secular and believe that the government will be their savior. Well, I think after three years we realize the government ain't going to help you guys. I'm sorry. Jesus is your savior. Amen. And uh, whatever philosophy you had, how did that hold up through COVID? Well, uh, I know Jesus held up well for us, and uh, he got us through it. Amen. Who can say amen to that? Amen. Praise God. We're having a good time. Now, listen, a revival has broken out in America. I need to give testimony to it, and I need to uh, give a praise report. Listen, one glimpse of the love of Christ will strengthen you, will bless you more than a hundred good decisions. Can you say amen to that? Above all, our prayer is this from this church, that you would be transformed, your life conformed to be more like Jesus. He's a great role model, trust me. You study his life and uh, it's a brilliant life of a man of God uh, that can be worked out through a woman, a man, a child. It's a great story of a man who walked, out the world, walked his life through this world 33 years without sin. Imagine that, never sinned, never compromised, didn't 
fall into that temptation of being uh, sidetracked or whatever. So, of course, it's our immense privilege of seeing lives transformed, and we are seeing people encounter God in these days and, and literally be transformed and restored to their first love. And it is because of the power of the gospel, and it is because of, um, I, I guess, allowing the Spirit to move, but also complemented with the Word of God, the Word and the Spirit. Just the Word, you dry up, just the Spirit, you blow up, but the Word and the Spirit, and you grow up. Amen? Who likes that? Amen? So, this is what's happening on the planet, and this is a, this is a powerful statement, and it's so true, because the Pentecostal church got so clever in delivering church with all its bells and whistles and and stuff, and we need this stuff to, to present well, but it can get overbearing and we can rely on it too much. Amen? And we have this phrase um, uh, skinny jeans, smoke machines, and big screens. Big screens, uh, skinny jeans, and smoke machines. And um, I didn't wear my skinny jeans, although some people might regard those as skinny, but that, that's not going to win the day. It is Christ at the center, and I'll give you a scripture in Revelations that talks about Christ at the center. Unless Christ is at the center of your family, your business, hello business people, unless Christ is at the center of your business, your life, your parenting, uh, your church, um, we're in all sorts. We're, we've got faulty structures and we've got scaffolding that is not, in fact, that scaffolding is coming down daily that's propping up even good churches and good works that seemingly before this, uh, upheaval happened that they were doing well. So I love this statement. It says, if the church wins the world with the entertainment, with entertainment, we will have to keep them with entertainment and the world will always entertain better than the church. <laughs> if we preach the word and let them experience the beautiful presence of the Holy Spirit, the world has no substitute for that. Who can say amen to that? So this is our prayer. This is my prayer for you. Lord, let me discern the leading of the Holy Spirit. I desire to hunger and thirst for a glimpse of your love, as I said at the start. Just one glimpse of his glory. Trust me, friend, you will never be the same again. I desire, in fact, Lord, to hunger and thirst for a glimpse of your love, Christ's love. Lord, I pray for days of prophetic wisdom, insight, and direction for this new era. Amen. I'll explain why we say new era. Prophetically, we believe we turned a corner in uh, 2020, and we've, got, we've come into a new era, a new dispensation of grace, call it. it, it it's all to do with these external um, existential factors that have a bearing on our life on planet Earth. And yes, Lord, I pray you help your people embrace their story. And this is where Transformational Church helps. Embracing who you are, your history, like I did. I had to go way back to Wales and realize, and went back there five years ago for the first time after leaving there uh, in 1958, as I was saying to my English friends at the back. I grew up with no relatives, no relatives. I didn't think I had a relative in real time. I knew there were sentiments of relos in my life, but I had no connection with them. Do you know what I'm saying? You know you've got a grandmother, but because you've never met her, 
and you're growing up through adolescence and you don't give a toss about anyone, uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> you, you leave the grandmother, you leave all that reality behind. And I did for many years until I got into my 50s. And I realized, hang on, I've got relatives in England. I wouldn't mind meeting them because, again, I never had a relative here in Australia. Can you imagine when you Aussie kids were coming to school and saying, oh, I met my auntie on the weekend or my uncle. I stayed at my grandfather's house on the weekend. I went, what's that? What's that? So I, I believe Christianity is the same thing. When you get saved, you realize you have a family album called the Bible that introduces you to your great, 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 grandfather Moses, your great, 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 grandfather. Great to have Tony in the house. He's been out of the house with COVID three months. You have a great, 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 Abraham, Father Abraham. These are your, this is your family album. You should get to know them. And when you get to know them, man, you know, man, you're in the company of royalty. You know, you're in the company of the greatest story ever told. His His story. History, his story. And, and you've got to read your Bible and be introduced to your, your relatives. And it's a beautiful, and that's what happened to me in the natural. I had done it in the spirit, but I hadn't done it in the natural, and there was a healing in that. Oh, I don't know why I'm talking about that. That's for someone out there. To be, on, to be honest, we are living in monumental, in a time of monumental shift. And I'll just state some stuff to help. So how I'll do this sermon... I'll give you some sociological understanding of the times we live in and what's happened to us through COVID and how that's displaced people and um, triggered people to be stuck and, uh, and caused stuff in their life. Do you mind if I do that for a few moments? And then I'll go into uh, the, the revival in Asbury, which we've all heard about on the internet. So to be honest, we're living through a monumental shift. Are we all doing well? Amen. So let me just state some things. The nations and systems of the earth continue to be shaken. Can we agree? Life feels unstable and the future is uncertain. Although with Christians, we're pretty sure what is coming. Everything has changed. However, God's plan is unfolding. This is such a comfort, knowing this stuff. And you, my friend, are part of it. In fact, he has a prophetic blueprint to help you find clear direction, build a future, and flourish, as Pastor Andrew was saying. It's very important to realize, despite all the circumstances of life around us, uh, you know, being a bit sketchy, that we will flourish in this. And I believe that we will become a sign and a wonder to the world, as we have the countenance of peace, and we seemingly are prospering, that we're gainfully employed, that our health is well, and that seemingly we're, we're dealing with the pressure cooker of life in a contrary way to the world. Do you know what I'm saying? So we are not just living in a new season, we are experiencing the first season of a whole new era. Now this is a consensus of opinion, these statements from the prophetic wisdom that we have on the planet. So they're saying this is a defining decade. This decade, 5783, we're in the 80s. That's the Hebrew calendar. 5783, we're in the 80s. We're three years into the 80s. 5783. That's a decade. We're in a decade, uh, a defining decade. This intense shifting and shaking has been birthing something new in the world and in your life. 
Do you sense it? Something's birthing in your life. It's uncertain and deeply unsettling, but it is also a kairos moment of unique opportunity that will shape your life. Kronos is typical Kronos time, the bump and grind of life, the dutifulness of life, you just Kronos timing. But then there's a Kairos time, and Kairos means the divine opportune time in an event or in a day, in an hour or in a moment. Do you know what I'm saying? Kairos, a divine opportune time, for me would be the altar sometimes. The altar gets opened up. That is an, a, a, an opportunity to come and respond to the message and maybe say, Lord, I thank you for it. You don't even have to have hands laid on you, folks. Just come and just go, Lord, I thank you for that message. I really do believe it was for me. Uh, it stirred something in me. I'm not quite sure what it all means, but Father, help me. Lord Jesus, by the power of your Spirit, help me resolve this, this, you know, this anguish, this, this you know, this, this complicated life of mine. And you come and you stand, and then you can just walk off without even hands laid up. And that's what the altar is for. The altar is where you get altered. Amen? <laughs> to navigate this time of unprecedented challenge and change, and I love this statement, we need real-time, say real-time, real-time wisdom and direction and prophetic revelation. This is what the Bible, this is what God offers us. We're not being led by the blind, the blind leading the, the blind, of, you know, the people of the world trying to lead us blindly uh, into a, a place. No, we're being led very cleverly and very strategically by having the eyes of the Spirit and we're being led and we're following Jesus. Amen? You may say, I don't know what to do. Do you know anyone like this? It can feel like an animal coming out of hibernation and emerging into a new reality. You've come out of COVID and you go, ooh, you can see people like that. There have been so much change that we realize that, that we realize or recognize right now, globally, personally, spiritually, that something has definitely changed. We need to understand the Lord is doing something completely new in our midst. The wind of the Spirit is blowing in fresh ways and in new ways. It's not like anything we've seen before. It won't follow past patterns. But I will say this, but God. God has positioned us in this monumental turning point of history. We have been placed in this monumental time frame of what God is doing. So, and like many people, you may feel, and you might know someone like this, trapped in transition. Trapped, they're in a transitory situation. They feel like they're not quite arrived, but they're in the pipeline of arriving somewhere. Let me ask you, you feel weary, directionless, frustrated even? It's like you're waiting for something, but you're not sure what you're waiting for. You also may feel spiritually numb and emotionally disconnected. What do you do? By the way, do you know anyone like this? Do you know anyone stuck in this predicament? What, what do you do? Where do you go? What steps can you take to move forward to the next stage, place, 
and people, uh, place and, pe- and people God has waiting for you in the future. The reality is these are unfamiliar paths, and I know that to be true. We've never been this way before. The old maps won't help you to navigate this new territory. You're going to need, and again I say, real-time wisdom from the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Bible, we told the sons of Issachar. Who's heard of the sons of Issachar? Uh, they, they stood in a time when it says in 1 Chronicles 12.32 about them, it says this, they understood the times and knew what Israel should do. This was a, a tribe of people that were alert, intuitive, and they knew what God was saying. And this tribe seemingly knew what to do next. The tribe had a prophetic advantage, a unique divine discernment of the era they were living in. I believe that's what we need now, and I hope that this church provides that, in fact. Thus, thus, they were able to prosper, advance, increase, and experience God's blessing in unusual ways. Who wants that? Similarly, I fully believe God has made available everything you need to stand firm and flourish in this time of unprecedented shaking and uncertainty. And in fact, I know many people that are starting businesses, they're doing well, and seemingly they're pushing forward and life is good for them. Um, I'm sure you will gain understanding of what is happening in and around you if you pray and if you desire to want to know. So, praying, it will equip you to respond with divine strategies, practical steps, and a prophetic advantage. In fact, they're saying we may be on the brink of a revival, a reformation, an awakening, and it may have already begun now. Let me take you to the story, the big story in our church world, because we, we glean from the church news what's happening, because the, the media won't comment on what's happening in, in, in our world, in the Christian world, that there is a flourishing underground church in Iran, that there is prayer groups breaking out in Europe, uh, old um, dilapidated church buildings in Europe are being filled with people praying and worshipping God despite all the war around them. They are doing that. So, and I'll help you understand why they're doing that. So, we're hearing credible reports of a significant new work of the Spirit breaking out in a place called Kentucky, Asbury Chapel. And if you want, you can put some photos up, uh, Taro, if you like. In the USA, there's a state called Kentucky. And in a university that is over 100 years uh, old, um, there is a large university that is, that, that is a theological campus, but also a secular campus. And in the chapel service, um, the students, they, the guy got up, a guy called Zach, and he preached out of Romans chapter 12, which is basically, he said, the point of his message was, you've got to allow God to love you if you're, gonna, if you're going to be able to love the world, you've got to let the love of God, you know, bless you. And you've got to understand that in a real way. To be able to love the people in your world and love the lost, you've got to receive that love of God. 
Some students, uh, yes, some students uh, hung around. And uh, this is just a, a few dozen, by the way. So the chapel service finished in this university. A lot of them went, and some of them stayed behind, faithful remnants. Stayed, and, and some of them got up and gave testimony that, wow, that message really spoke to me. Yeah, I've got to deal with that. I've been cranky. I've been cynical. And, and Lord, forgive me. He got up and said that. And then another one gave testimony like that. And seemingly from that, they began to uh, trigger a little bit of a, a prayer thing. Then they began to sing and, 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 and worship the Lord. And, and many came back to the sanctuary. Well, it's, I think it's 10 days now that it's continuing and it's, people are turning up there. Okay, so there's no screens, there's no smoke machines, uh, there's no famous preacher, um, there's nothing that smacks of hype. It is dead set Jesus at the center of the meeting, amen? And so they're being very, this is an old Methodist movement. It's based from a man of God who was sent from England, Francis um, Asbury, Francis Asbury, who is a traveler. He is, wow, what a legend. 250,000 miles he traveled on horseback as an Englishman. You can imagine traversing the country of America and churches were birthed out of his ministry. People were saved. He's a theologian, he's a, and he, he, he passed away at the age of 70. From his legacy, they built this Asbury College that has had three revivals, one in 1950, one in 1970, uh, in the middle of the Jesus Movement. Who knows about the Jesus Movement? By the way, there's a great movie coming out about it. Um, who plays the lead? One of the, the, the pastor. Fraser, Casey, yeah, yeah, and, and they got him on a talkback show, and they got him to try and talk about it, and he, he, he seized up, he said, no, you don't get it, this is like nothing I've ever played in my life, this has done a number on me, this learning about what the Jesus movement was that I'd lived through and basically ignored, this was real. And he plays the pastor that was a bit um, angst about the, the hippies coming into his church. And he says, no, we can't have them. Look, they're unruly. They're going to spoil it. Uh, yeah, they've got no shoes on. You know. And, and so it's th th that movie you need to catch up on. Now, let's get back to him. They started uh, Francis... Asbury um, did a brilliant job through the Methodist church laying this, in, you know, just spreading uh, the Methodist message, which a lot of it, uh, the Methodist message is about holiness. Yeah. It's about holiness, right. So, no, they, they built this university, which, is, which was really built, these colleges in America are really built to equip um, the young people to minister abroad, to be missionaries, to go out. To, but this particular college now has a big secular part of it where they do real studies, psychology and stuff like that. But um, it's amazing, yes. So these are the lines trying to get in. Um, yeah, just keep rotating them, bud. Is a short video there? Can you, can you do that one? A revival broke out. Just keep it playing while I speak. A revival. 
revival broke out last week at the chapel service at Asbury University, Kentucky. The Asbury revival is now spreading to other American universities. A few dozen students lingered in the worship after the end of the chapel last Wednesday at Asbury University in Wilmore, Central Kentucky. Almost a week later, the same chapel services continues unbroken. Thousands of visitors have streamed in from across the United States and have it's been known as the Asbury revival. The peers, the professors, the long uh, church leaders, uh, the local church leaders and seminary students surround me, all of them praying, worshipping, praising God together. And yes, we are ringing our people, bowing on the altar, arms stretched wide, a pair of... Anyway, it goes on. So is God preparing us for something? That's what we're all asking. Who believes that God is? Now, this revival seemingly is always... um, um, it it always precedes a a bigger revival that happens. The 1950 was the healing evangelist uh, revivals that happened uh, across America and elsewhere, Catherine Kuhlman. Seemingly, revival always breaks out at this place before revival breaks out across the world. 1970, revival broke out through the Jesus Movement. Uh, In 1990, there was a revival there with Randy Clark who preached there and revival broke out. So again, is revival breaking out there preceding a greater movement of God? And I'll tell you why this happens, and I'll give some credence uh, why this happens. Um, Some people might be cynical uh, about revival, but as Gamaliel said to the Sanhedrin, uh, the Scripture says, uh, oh, I haven't got that one in there, but uh, it is in the Bible. For if this teaching or movement is merely human, it will collapse of its own accord. But if it should be from God, you cannot defeat them and you might actually find yourself to be fighting against God. That's the J.B. Phillips, I know. <laughs> so I know this, the church needs something to shock it. I think we've known that for a while. The church got complacent, comfortable. I believe it became like a, a subculture group. It had hardly any consequence to the local community. Or even worse, a social club, a best friends club, where we could just come and hang and be easy hang. I call it an easy hang. Uh, Church is never an easy hang. It places the greatest demand on your life. The cross, look at the cross, that places the greatest demand on your life because of the reward of his suffering. Just say that, the reward of his suffering. So it's not a philosophy, it's not a, a belief system, it is a lay down It is your life laid down, holy and solely, giving your heart, soul, and mind and strength to the Lord all your days. Who can say amen to that? So yes, it is for the generations, and uh, but it has started with the young people again, because the young people are more movable. As you get older, you become immovable almost, I think, don't you? So they're saying we need repentance and holiness. We need the kind of outpouring of the Spirit in church that can incubate and activate a people to pray, to worship, to witness, and be the church in this hour. That's why we need a move of God. That's why we need it. So this uh, prophetic ministry gave a great description, and he says this is a catalyzing moment. A catalyst, catalyst means something that happens that changes everything around it, a catalyst, a catalytical moment. So he says this, and I'll just read this out, and then I'll get to some scripture and and uh, we'll open up the altar. Amen. How are we doing? There is a move of God. It's real. A lot of great leaders have visited it. 
And uh, praise God, no one's been able to, um, I guess, do stuff, you know, meddle with it. Yeah, yeah, add their name to it or something. And every big name that's gone, they've just hidden and they've just felt it and they've worshipped God because no man should get the glory. Can someone say amen to that? Amid the swirl and instability, uh, a seismic shift is happening in you. And I just love why I say this, why I'm quoting this. I want you to get an understanding that God is moving, that we're in a new era, that God is speaking to you, and He's introducing you to a new era where God is going to do something in your life whereby you can stand up in these days and be that man and woman of God that you need to be. So let me say this. Amid the swirl and instability, a seismic shift is happening in you, around you, in the heavenly realms. Everything is moving, turning, resetting, realigning. It is unsettling. You can sense something bubbling, rising, stirring, emerging. It can feel difficult to find a secure footing. Can anyone agree with this stuff at the moment? A monumental shift is happening. You guessed it. You were right. That's why we're finding people coming to church again. Some people are coming to church. They're curious of what God's got to say. Three things humanity asks after a big uh, seismic, uh, a, a great tragedy like a war or a pandemic. Three things people ask. Where was the government? This is after the event. Where was the government? How did they help me? Well, we know now how they helped us. Two, where was my philosophy in life? How did Anthony Robbins hold up for you during this time? What was your philosophy like? Third one, where was God? Where was the church while all this was happening? You know, like my dad, 92 years of age, when he bowed out, but the only negative thing I ever heard him say almost was, I am disappointed that God would let humanity just cave in to such deplorable behavior of killing themselves because he was a pacifist. And he just couldn't understand, God, why would you let that happen? And so he didn't go back to church. After he got back from war in 47, he never went back to church. And they call that, uh, that, that generation the silent generation. They didn't talk about God. They didn't talk about the travesty. They didn't talk about that whole episode of the war. They kept silent. Their emotions were bottled up. And the outbursts of anger, and I used to hear it in the streets in the 60s, with the returned war fathers, you know, belting their kids way too much and just being totally over the top with an authoritarian attitude and, uh, and mums, poor mums weren't blessed and mums were dealt with a cranky dad because they had bottled up fathers that were, you know, traumatised from the war. So this stuff, it has an effect on people and you would do well to know that you have been affected and you do well to be kind to yourself during this time. Be kind to each other. The monumental shift is happening. The kingdom is advancing, but the opposition is fierce. The spirit has been brooding and hovering over the nations. The prophetic decrees and prayers of the saints have been heard. The Father is creating something new. It is unclear and not defined yet. It may not be how you expected it to look, but it is coming. It's accelerating and gaining momentum. It's it's getting closer and clearer. You won't have to push it too hard or force it to happen. But also, don't 
become passive and complacent. Perceive what it can become through the eyes of faith. Lean into it. Take hold of it. Steward it. Tend it. All the, the altars. The altar's been open every uh, Sunday this year, and people have been coming and begin, being blessed and touched. It's a marvelous thing. Don't let that go. Don't let it bypass you. In the kingdom, things are often slow, 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 then swift. <laughs> we wait, we wait, we wait. Then suddenly it appears. This is how this is going to happen. God is moving. The dam is breaking. You loving this? The war in the heavenlies is raging. We can see that. The nations are shaking. The angelic hosts are winning. The people are praying. The ecclesia is rising. The ecclesia is the church, is rising. The slumbering are awakening. The tide is turning. The glory is coming. The fire is spreading. Who can say amen? The ground is so dry. One spark is all it will take. He will send the fire. You fuel and fan the flames. After a long and testing season, the Father is coming to refresh and reignite His people. Signs will begin manifesting all around you. You will see demonstration of the Spirit's power. God is moving outside of the ordinary. You can't even conceive what He has in store. Many will be taken on a new trajectory than, than they have ever imagined. This is not a time to replicate or duplicate what is already there or what has been. It is a time to initiate and innovate and reform and reimagine, create and pioneer and dreams and desires. Who's grabbing this? Dream new maps, draw new maps, explore the land, reinvent, redefine, reshape. It will require courage. It will require courage to step into the new. Major adjustments may be required. The stage is being reset. You are being positioned into place. This is a window of opportunity to make a bold and brave move. This is a catalyzing moment. Catalyze means to cause something to happen or accelerate into a process. It's going to happen. It is happening globally, geopolitically, on a scale we couldn't even imagine. Because the nations are shaking. We see that. And it is shifting. And here we are. We need to move. We need to, to go forward. If you seek, discern, and unreservedly obey the Lord, you will look back at this period as a defining moment. Jesus said, you will see greater things than that, John 1.50. Luke 12.32 says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Luke 12, 32, 1 Corinthians 2, 9. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human has conceived, the things has God prepared for those who love him. Sometimes, getting back to the, the revival in America, sometimes the more hopeless our circumstances may seem, the more we become aware the more we become aware of God's provision, comfort, nearness in ways that we've never seen before. I think that's why revival is coming to America. I honestly believe they are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. 
Now, depending on what side you find yourselves in and what that nation finds itself in, that will have its way if sin is having its way in people's hearts and on the ground and in, you know, in society and the communities at large, then that becomes a reproach and you see the darkness uh, prevailing. But if righteousness, if righteousness is, ex- ex- is exhorted and, and if the righteousness of Christ in particular, not our righteousness, but if the righteousness of Christ is um, worshipped, praised and declared, that can pull a whole nation out of a funk that America is in right now. And that is why young people are so, they're so open in many regards. They know, they're very, they're very, um, in, they're very intuitive and, and, and um, understanding, maybe more, more than you, what you would realize that where the planet and the times we live in are. To be able for a kid to go, you know what, can we believe that if we pray, that if we worship and pray, that God can break in into our nation, into my family. That kid will sell his whole life out to that. And that's what the Jesus movement was. So in the 60s, they had another philosophical view that, you know, free love and and, uh, you know, all, all those hippie ideals, it didn't work out. Let me tell you something. Those clever students, they began, they say, so they tell me, the long march. Those hippie, long-haired students that were making a change by demonstrating themselves through free love and, and, and all that, um, they, they did a slight, they said, that didn't work. That demonstration didn't work. Let's do this. Let's get more educated and let's get into the universities. Let's become the professors that begin to indoctrinate the young people with a philosophical view of life that denies the Ten Commandments, God, the Christian faith, the Bible. We will teach those kids that the systems of the world, if we adhere to them like a computer, if we adhere to the exactness of science, trust the science, they say, trust our philosophical view that we're so intelligent that we can make life better for you if you bow your knee to this academic ascension, denying God, but worshiping at the altar of science and the intellect. So what happened? All the universities in America that were built to educate young people for the gospel and to be saints and to be, uh, you know, to be, to be ones who in the marketplace, in their respective careers, could hold the line for Judeo-Christian uh, values and ethics when, when they, they realized that they had, had a captive audience, they deliberately began this diabolical plan 
of taking over every university in America and taking out the young people. And so what happened? Those young people, they say, if you go to Yale, uh, Eric McTaxis says, Yale University was a God-fearing university. But if you're a Christian, it's the worst place to go to because they will beat that Christianity out of you. So watch, young people, when you go to university. Their high ideals represent a philosophical view of life that is anti-Christ. I'm being real because I have some university students in there. Is that okay that I be that real? You got to be so that they've they've basically brainwashed so many good young people in America. That's why we got wokeism. That's why we got you know disarm the police and dis, you know defund the police. Socialism comes out of that and Marxism and stuff. Ooh, I've got off the beaten track. So, I'm, but I need to I need to say this to you. Listen, these the people are looking for truth. People are looking for answers, and people are wondering, what the heck is going on? I'm telling you what is going on. That's why the church is the most magnificent, most noble institution on the earth, a pillar of truth that can stem the tide of darkness and bring in the glory of God, the supernatural power of God, to bless our children and families. That's why we give, that's why we tithe, that's why we pray. The prayer meeting here in our church is going off, thank God. Because the Bible says, the Bible says, I'm nearly done, Proverbs 14:34, righteousness exalts a nation. Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to the people. Ooh. I want to tell you this, the last thing. That's a nation's predicament. Let me bring it home personally now to you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Matthew 5, 6. The first three Beatitudes are about seeing your own position. Let's just say that. But the fourth Beatitude moves you forward. And it speaks about the desire that rises from a true knowledge of yourself. And this is the true knowledge of yourself. You are hungry for righteousness. One, hunger is an intense desire. A person who is really hungry will do almost anything to get food. Ask Evan when he comes to my place after a hard day's work. He's been doing 13, 14 hour days. Well done, sir. And I believe Andrew was there helping you. My other son-in-law, he had a big contract. Impossible to do in the time frame they gave me, but they did it. Give him a hand clap. But he has an appetite. I'd hate to have been Jesse around this time. A person, number one, write this down. Number one, hunger is an intense desire. A person who is really hungry will do almost anything to get food. His life depends on it. This intense desire, this hunger and thirst for God and his righteousness is a hallmark of a true believer. The Bible says in Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2, as a deer pants for flowing stream, so pants my soul for you. Oh God, my soul thirsts for the living God. Who can say amen to that? Two, hunger is a sign of a need. When you are hungry, your body is telling you that you need to eat. Can someone say amen to that? Hunger indicates, I shouldn't be mentioning this because there's some people in a seven-day fast, they're halfway through it. I won't mention who they are, but they're literally 
on a, on a water fast, a seven-day water fast. And, uh, but it's true. Hunger indicates the absence of food in the body. It's the body's awareness of its own need. Jesus tells us that the people who are blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In other words, when it comes to righteousness, the blessed people are not those who think they have it, but those who feel that they lack it. Three, hunger is a sign of life. Nobody teaches a baby how to be hungry. Where there's life, there's hunger. When a person is born again, you do not need to tell them to desire holiness. The soul of a Christian hungers for holiness as the body hungers for food. Who can say amen to that? Four, Hunger is a sign of health. A healthy appetite is a good sign that a person is well. But if a person loses his appetite, it is usually a sign that something is wrong with the body. Apply this spiritually. If you have a deep longing to grow in Christ, you are in a good state of spiritual health. The sign of spiritual health is not to feel you have arrived, but to feel you have a great longing for more. There is more of God. Why are you blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness? The foundations of righteousness do not lie in our culture. They never have. They would allude to it, that if you adhere to all these rules and regulations... You will be right, you won't get pulled over, you won't get a fine, you'll be just absolutely perfect in your placement in society. And you, you, you presume yourself to have a righteousness, but was only given to you by the culture. The foundations of righteousness, a righteous life, is in God who loves you. God is still on the throne, and He is the only righteous one. This is what my prayer for you is. And we may be able to say this together. Psalm 51 verse 1. Thank you, Jilly. Faith moves the heart. Father, I pray that faith would arise in our hearts right now. Lord, one glimpse of your glory will never be the same again. To strengthen us. To bless us in these times. In this transition into this new era. To be able to be well placed to be a blessed, to be a blessing. Psalm 51 verse 1 has all the sen sentiments that we need to create in us a clean heart. And I'll say it from the top. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. We, we might all try and say it. I think I've got the right version here. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict. This is King David, by the way. Yes, continue on. I'm going to do the whole lot, so just continue it flowing. And justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop. Cleanse me with the Holy Spirit. 
and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart. Let's all say that. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Lift your hands up as we say it. Lord, create in me a pure heart, O God. This is King David crying out because he slipped and he did stuff and and he's crying out now. He doesn't want the Holy Spirit to leave him. And he's saying, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's that spirit of wisdom and peace and glory that you can have to walk out these days in the time you live. Continue. Is that it? That's enough, isn't it? Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Lord, there's people coming in and around my life. They want to know the truth. They want answers. And they want to know what's going on. So let's all stand. God bless you as you do. So Father, right now in this house of God, righteousness exalts a nation. Jesus, for the sake of my nation, the young people have begun again a move of God on this earth. They understand in their heart of hearts that life is not as it should be. That we need a return to the ways of God. Father, this morning we declare that we join hearts with those ones in that university, the Asbury University. We join hearts with them. And we, we in in their pledge and in their, their conviction to see God manifested in people's hearts, in their community, in their state, in their nation, and in this world. Jesus, we want to see this land, this great south land of the Holy Spirit. We want to see righteousness exalting this land out of darkness out of sin Jesus we worship you just begin to worship him repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be forgiven. So that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. If you feel to come to the altar and just receive a fresh touch from heaven, just come now. And just stand on the altar and feel it. Just feel the anointing. Just stand there and feel it.